Welcome to Triumph. This is a show about God's love, His peace, His mercy, and certainly His forgiveness for those who have had an abortion experience in their past. This show touches on topics that may be uncomfortable for some. Uh, it's very personal, it's very truthful. My name is Tim Welsh. I'm executive director of Bethesda Healing Ministry, a Catholic ministry that's been around for more than 26 years. A ministry that's dedicated to helping women and men navigate the sometimes stormy waters of healing and reconciliation after an abortion experience. And as usual, I'm joined by my wife, Jo. Hello. Hello. And this morning, or today, we're joined by Maria Elliott. Maria is a licensed clinical counselor. She's a volunteer at Bethesda. She helps facilitate the... the, uh, healing uh, meetings that we have at Bethesda. Hi, Maria. Hi. This is Maria's first time on radio, so she's a little nervous. So be gentle (laughs) with her audience. We kind of can't wait. (laughs) So today we're going to start talking about um, symptoms. You know, there's the the post-abortion stress and post-abortion syndrome, whatever the sort of name du jour is uh, for uh, for uh, the experience of people who've had an abortion experience in their past is a very complex thing. And, you know, it's easy for us to, for instance, symptoms for a cold are pretty easy. You've got a sniffly nose, you've got a sore throat, you may have a headache, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but symptoms for post-abortion stress are a lot different than that. And they're a lot harder to sort of discern, I think, anyway. So, let me just kick it off with um, with that notion, uh, Maria. What what do you think? Yeah, I think it's um, really important to talk about symptoms because, for one, it it just points out what women and men may be feeling and um, gives a name to those for people, and then. Um, to point those out and just group them as possible symptoms of, you know, post-abortion stress may help normalize that, wow, I'm not alone. Um, Knowing that there's this group of symptoms related to my experience of an abortion um, really can help people not feel alone and, and really put a name and a theme to what they're going through. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, loneliness is, is, is hard to pin down, right? I mean, you kind of, you know, I, I remember, and I, I use this, this kind of, uh, guardedly, but I, I remember when my father passed away, I was, I spent the last hour or so just holding his hand, the last hour of his life. And when he passed, there were, there were like, I'm, I'm one of 11 children. So there's like, there are like eight or 10 of us standing around his, his bed there. And when he passed, I mean, the room was full of people, but I was completely lonely. I mean, I was the 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 loneliness was profound, and I remember that. I I remember thinking, you know, I, I'm looking around. All my sisters and brothers are there. Or a lot of them, eight out of eight out of eleven, I think, were there. But I just remember, golly, I just feel really lonely here. And Joe was there. I mean, I shouldn't have felt lonely, but I did. And and nobody would have known that in the room. And as as we're sort of walking through this, it, that's a difficult. That's a difficult reaction to pin down. And I think loneliness is personal, too. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody um, experiences kind of that loneliness. It's their own – it's just their own – their own flavor of loneliness, if you will. It's it's very isolating, too. You know, those things go hand in hand, I think. 
Um, so, and it, I think it relates a lot to uh, grief. You know, we talk a lot about kind of that unresolved grief piece, and um, no one's really supposed to be grieving this loss. Um, you know, in the in the secular world, um, in the world, not just secular world, but no one thinks that you're going to be sad about this abortion. This is okay. You know, it's time to reboot your life, sort of. So. It's very isolating, and it is very lonely. So loneliness is kind of the emotion, but but symptomatically that manifests some other way. Is that would that be correct, Marie? You think, or what? What? Do you yes, think? Um, I I think Joe is right that a lot of the symptoms start to emerge as grief, and they they re, they resemble the um, the symptoms that we all experience when we're grieving something. Um, as she mentioned, I think it's really important to say that it's an unacknowledged grief, though, which which for years women and men can then bury that grief, which in turn intensifies the, the mm. symptoms. And then they almost come out sideways in lots of different uh, physical ways. They can come out in... Um, you know, relational ways and psychological and emotional ways, even um, spiritual ways. Hmm. Um, and I think a lot of women and men, what what stops them from acknowledging that grief and thus then uh, not noticing the symptoms is just the shame and guilt that they feel and their fear of telling others um, yes. what yes. happened and then the the shame and guilt and fear of, of just um, asking for help, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, and the 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 guilt and shame, you know, that's really internalized, like you were saying, and it kind of has a an effect on your brain as to how you react to things like joy or sadness, um, and we've kind of worked through some of this and this is kind of maybe a new term, but there's kind of a gray zone that you live in. You know, you'd never experience those high highs or the low lows. You, you keep yourself in that, that kind of a status quo kind of gray zone. I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but um, I, it, it is, it's very lonely because you don't know if you can speak out and you're afraid to because you're supposed to be fine. And um, if I speak out, there's something wrong with me, but there is something wrong with you. So it's very isolating and it, it just brings about a circle of, of kind of despair with the small D, I think. Yeah, and um, I think that gray zone is sort of like a numbness. Yes. You're you're numb to the high emotions. You're numb to the low emotions. You're even numb to relationships around you. Yes. And getting back to the grief symptoms, you know, those are um, denial, first of all, that you're even experiencing that. And so you're numbing yourself. You're experiencing that numbness, um, anger, depression, Mm -hmm the isolation and loneliness and just a sense of loss um, that's sometimes hard to, to really accept and acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, all those things really do kind of feed on each other, don't they? And, um, you know, walking through grief, you don't, I guess I for years I, I didn't really think of it as grief um, until I really, um, you know, started into some healing programs at Bethesda. I started there and kind of was had to look at myself and face that this was grief. Um, and also with my um, making an adoption plan for my child at 16, there's some grief there that I never dealt with either. So kind of compounding um, all of that with an abortion, it's just like these huge secrets that you're carrying around and 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 you're supposed to be fine. I keep saying that, but um, fine is one of those acronyms for feelings inside never expressed. Mm. So for all you ladies and men out there, <laughs> when you say fine, maybe you're not fine. <laughs> you know, you make a really interesting point, Joe, that, that I, you've heard me say this before, of course, that uh, there's very few things that I say that you haven't heard me say before. True. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was a study that we commissioned when I was at Ohio Right to Life. A, a guy was studying sort of the right brain effect of abortion, you know, like um, – and and his, his uh, sort of psychological kernel was that you had the – the past, present, and future self, like in, from a psychological perspective, mm-hmm. yeah. and when you and and his psychological kernel of this whole thing was the that abortion was the least of three evils. You know, the woman had a choice between making an adoption plan, parenting the child, or having an abortion. If she made an adoption plan, uh, you know the 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 past self is essentially revived. The current self is essentially revived. You know, when she's when she becomes pregnant, all three of those are just die. I mean, they're they're the she's never going to be like she was before. She's never she isn't like she is now, and she's never going to be the same in the future because now she is a mother, right? So when when she makes an adoption plan, you know, the past is revived. The present revived the future remains unknown because there are there are all those kind of questions that are somewhat rather cliche these days that you know where is this child being placed you know and and what is this child's life today and she knows that she's going to at least she senses that she's going to worry about that for a long time and then and then if she if she parents the 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 child, all three of those have changed completely. I shouldn't say they're dead, but all three of them have changed. They're, she's never the same. You know, the past is gone, the future is gone, the present is gone. It's never the same. If she does, if she has an abortion, all three of those things psychologically at the moment are revived. She's she's going to be. This is in her own psyche sure. at the moment. It doesn't. You know, it obviously doesn't play out that way. But in in many women, but. You know, her past is revived, her present is revived, and her future is revived. And she doesn't want to talk to anybody about that because that that impacts all three of those psyches, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why this is such a big secret is Mm -hmm. because because it just – if she talks about any of those those things, suddenly the past is is now – 
affected and mm-hmm. the president is now affected because of maybe reputational things, all kinds of stuff. Sure. And now, you know, what, what she perceives as her future is, is impacted somewhat as well. So abortion has always been the least of those three evils psychologically for the woman in the moment. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, you know, once she has gone through that, um, uh, experience many women find that that just is really not true that yeah. that the the present is very much different the past is is not really affected the past self is not that affected but the right. present is is rather um affected and the future is affected in ways that nobody could even guess right. at the time yeah and um it um you know, it, it the present is good for a while. You know, it's good for maybe a month or six weeks, or and then, and then it starts to. Then you start to wonder. I mean, it's different for every woman. I, I'm just speaking for myself, but then you start to wonder. You know, just you have all these questions, but again, you can't. You can't really talk about it. So. No, no, you can't. You're listening to Triumph, a show about God's love and peace and mercy and his forgiveness for those who have suffered an abortion experience in their past on AM820, St. Gabriel Radio. And and uh, thanks for joining us today. Maria, you have any thoughts about all that? You're, you're over there nodding, and you <laughs> seem to – I maybe said something worth listening yeah. to, right? Sure. Um, <laughs> it does. It brings up to me – that the truth will remain regardless of what society tells us, regardless of what we even tell ourselves at times, the truth remains that something major happened when the abortion happened, that there was a loss. Um, So again, regardless of what society or we tell ourselves or we try to do to make that okay, um, the truth will will remain, and that can only be healed, and um, and we can only really move forward from that reality with the help of God. And so, noticing the symptoms, noticing uh, sort of the the pattern of our symptoms is really important because it's almost a doorway to healing when we realize oh, wow, these symptoms that I'm experiencing, relational symptoms, how I'm pushing everyone away, uh, psychological systems, just depression, anxiety, um, the inability to make decisions because you doubt yourself so much about the decisions you've made, um, spiritual symptoms, you know, staying away from God, not or sometimes more um, some of those experiential sim- symptoms like, really throwing yourself into the pro-life movement or or those type of things. You know, those are all symptoms that once we realize them and that they they may be connected to our abortion experience, that abortion experience that we can bring that to God. You know, we can realize it ourselves. We can feel connected to other people, which is really crucial in the healing healing experience. And then it allows God, he's been wanting to do this, but when we're in denial, you know, we we sometimes put up a roadblock there. But it allows God in. It's that doorway to healing, to 
to say, hey, here is what I have experienced in my past. Here's what I'm experiencing continually now. Mm-hmm. Let's do something about it. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. So, so Joe, what was the, what was the, what were the major symptoms that you experienced? Um, it's funny when Marie is talking about kind of those lower or not lower, but those symptoms that are, um, on, on one end of the spectrum, let's just say, that's how I want to say it. And then, you know, there are symptoms on the other end where you're super involved, you're, amazing at work you're you know you're just high achiever it's it can be all it can be the opposite where i'm trying to erase every bad decision i made i'm trying to prove that i am better than the voice in my head you never did that did you really no uh-uh. <laughs> um so my <laughs> symptoms were ca- did, I, did anybody in the listening audience hear me roll my eyes <laughs> um so my symptoms <laughs> were more of not really isolation, but uh, isolation of my heart, maybe, um, is probably a way I could put it. Um, you know, I wanted my children to be super overachievers, and I wanted to be the best mom on the planet, and I wanted to be the best wife. I wanted my family to be looked at as the best um so i had a lot of those kind of symptoms i didn't really realize it all the time um but also in our relationship or even even our relation my relationship with our children it's it always seemed that i was at like arms i was i had them at arm's length you can't see that i've got my arms out right now but um it's that kind of, I guess that's the best way to describe it, that I wasn't ever really fully in. And I think Maria kind of alluded to this. You're not really fully in there. You're, you're just there. Um, but um, so, and just not really getting into deep relationships. I, um, I, I have, I have a lot of friends, but no friends that are like deep relationships for me. Uh, I did. I never allowed that because I I feared that if they really knew me, uh, or if they got to know me and then they found out about my past, then you know all their skepticism about me would be confirmed. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Does it? Yeah, it it does to me. Um, it, there was a you know you and I. Uh, I've went through a, about thirty years or more of just wondering what the heck was wrong, right? I mean, we we kind of I I questioned the lack of and and it, it wasn't per se physical intimacy, although that was part of it. You know, we we questioned. I I always questioned about you know, gosh, do you even like me? You know, kind of. It was mm-hmm. it was one of those mm-hmm. things that. You and I have got, and and we're very happily married, by the way. I mean, I I I think you know, there's there's no doubt that you know we've been married for forty one years. For goodness I'm shaking sake. my head. Yes, I'm not rolling my eyes. By the way, <laughs> well, you're welcome to roll your eyes. <laughs> so, you know, so it's not as if it's not as if we have, um, 
you know, separated or anything like that. Right. But, but, and we just kind of slogged it out. Like, there's something did. wrong here, but what is it? What's, we did. You know, or maybe this is just the way it is. And I always say this well, this is the way it is, and then I die. <laughs> so yeah, well, that's the way it goes. Well, the way it is is much different today. And I, I, yes. I think that, um, that, that is in large part due to your, your, um, I think both of our, um, ramping up of our, um, uh, ex- uh, spiritual experiences, uh, relationship with God. You sure. know, we pray yeah. every day together now, and that that's something that's it's relatively yeah. new. Absolutely. You know, it has evolved. Um, uh, we wake up every morning, and the first thing we do is pray for each other out loud, and uh, th- that has a that has an effect on everything. Um, but I want to uh, talk with Maria about uh, how does. One of the things I'd like to uh, help understand is, so I've got a brother or I've got a sister or I've got a mom or I've got a aunt or, or, or niece or something. How, how, would I, how would I identify those symptomatic kind of behaviors that, that maybe – and how do I approach that? I mean, I, gosh, little old me, maybe it's, maybe it's not for a man to do. I mean that that's a perfectly legitimate answer too. I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't make that distinction. I I think it's hard to identify because the symptoms can look like lots of different grief yeah. and lots of different pain and trauma that people have gone through. So it's hard to distinguish oh, you are sad and isolating yourself and you're pushing me away, so you must have had an abortion and need healing. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really hard to say that to someone. I think the number one piece to remember, no matter what anyone's going through, but especially in this um, in in this trauma, is compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, like Joe has has brought up, all the women and men that that come to the Bethesda healing meetings. Um, I think that's the number one piece that allows them a bit of freedom to share their story is the compassion and to know that they're not alone. Um, if, if someone feels that they're going to be judged, if someone feels that they're going to be, uh, you know, ran to a meeting or something like that, most likely they're not going to share. Um, but just that compassion would be, um, I think the number one piece to offer people. And then also just uh, maybe being open to talk about it. Uh, in, within our church, we, we come with such a strong view of, of abortion, of pro-life movement, which is the truth. So that's, that's good that we, we present that. It's also important to realize that that's not always been people's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so to be compassionate and then to allow them to talk about it, but then uh, give them hope. After the compassion, there needs to be hope. Mm-hmm. The people are not stuck with these symptoms. People are not stuck with the grief and the isolation, but there are places to go. There are people to talk to that can really help them, um, inviting them to become closer with our Lord um, through adoration or or just activities at your parish, I think is really important. Putting people in line with Jesus will help them. Yeah. He is the doctor who will heal. 
And so opening those doors, um, uh, many people – it's been my experience over the years that, that many people have an issue with – they have a hard time forgiving themselves, ergo they can't believe God can forgive them. Mm-hmm. So you know, how do you deal with that kind of and, – and I know, you know we, Joe and I have, have been through this completely, and, and I think we're still going through it. I mean we're mm-hmm. still sort of evolving in, in, in where we are as a couple and where we are as individuals. Um, and it's the the difference in our relationship is night and day. I mean, it's it's as if we we're just we just got married. I mean, we're like seventh seventh graders. We're just like giddy in love <laughs> with each other, mm-hmm. writing little notes. I asked her the other night if she like liked me instead of just like me. You know, it's one of those things. <laughs> I think there's a freedom that comes with the exposure. There yes. is, um, yes. even though we fear. Women and men fear that exposure. There's a, there's an absolute freedom that. That God Absolutely. wants to offer, but yeah. that is provided. Yeah. yeah. So, so let's let's um, let's end this with the hope. I mean, is there a is there a um, an avenue? I mean, we all know Bethesda exists. We all know there's other organizations that offer post-abortion healing in in Central Ohio. But is there a is there a recipe? Most of the most women come forward to a clergyman. That, that's where it starts mm-hmm. most of the time, or a valued friend, or something like that. But um, is is there a, is there anything you can leave with in terms of the hope that we can create for people? Well, I think you're right. Um, knowing that there are other people that have experienced it and places to go for help is really important, and then just giving the hope that this is doable. That, yeah. that that you know the symptoms may not disappear, the triggers may not disappear, but they can get better um, mm-hmm. with with talking about it, with with revealing. There's a freedom, yes. and that they don't have to be trapped anymore. Yeah. Um, that if you put it up on a lamppost, then it it shines for all, and it can it can really release you, and you can learn how to cope in a new and um, different way. Amen. Well, thanks for joining that. us here today. I, I love that too, and I, I, I really I admire Joe for doing exactly that, being out in the um, in the public and being open about her experience. I thank you for joining us at at Triumph here, and I'll leave you with one last uh, uh, comment. The, you mentioned that the truth will prevail. You know, uh, Pope Benedict said in one of his encyclicals, "The truth is vital, but the truth without love is unbearable." God bless all of you. <laughs>